Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today, I sit here with you, discouraged, outraged, absolutely furious at the lack of respect that the Clemson men's basketball team was shown by being given a five seed and having to travel all the way out to San Diego, California to play in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's not good enough that we made it. Clemson deserves better than that, and the only explanation I have is... It's the Russians. The Russians must have fixed it. Either that or John Swafford. Take your pick. Sam, do you share uh, my outrage at this? Absolutely. There's clearly collusion going on. There is no collusion. And uh, we've we've been given the raw deal, and people are trying to set us up to lose. It's a huge conspiracy. But in all seriousness, folks, don't get your panties in a wad. It's fine that Clemson's traveling out to San Diego when you're only making NCAA tournament appearances about once in a decade. The NCAA uh, tournament committee, selection committee, is not going to, you know, they're not going to give you much. So you got to earn it. Just be happy that Clemson's in the tournament. So like I said, Ben and Sam here with you today. We are here to talk about Clemson basketball's return to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2011. We're also here to talk a little bit uh, about baseball. Baseball team looking good this year, 15-1 on the season, coming off an ACC opening sweep against Georgia Tech. But... The most exciting thing going on right now, as I mentioned, Clemson basketball. Clemson enters the NCAA tournament as a five seed playing New Mexico State. Sam, it's a good time to be a Tiger. It's a great time to be a Tiger, and it's one of the best times of the year. No reason not to be excited. I mean, I, I forget just because Clemson hasn't been in the NCAA tournament for so long. I mean, I get excited every year just with the tournament itself, whether or not Clemson's in it. But that uh, excitement is heightened when Clemson is actually participating in the event um, and, and to go in there as a five seed, a highly ranked seed, that's pretty darn good for a team that was picked to, to finish 13th in the ACC this year. Absolutely. I, I agree. It's a different feeling going into the tournament when your team's in it. We haven't had that chance since I was in school. Uh, and it's nice to have something to cheer for besides just the excitement of the tournament. The hard part is, and this has happened to me in years past, is that with Clemson being in it, it usually kills my bracket. I mean, you doesn't have to abs- try to not be biased. It doesn't absolutely kill my bracket, but I usually have Clemson at least winning the first round game, um, and that hasn't really happened in a while. Yeah, that 2011 appearance, we won a play-in game and then lost. Which doesn't count. Yeah, and then lost the first round game. I think the time before that, we like lost to Michigan in the first round in Kansas City. I was at that one. Um, so lo- not a lot of, I mean, let alone tournament appearances, but not a lot of recent success in the NCAA tournament for Clemson. So. 
this is big. You know, Clemson fans are excited right now. We're happy to see the boys in there. And you got to be really proud of this team for what they accomplished this year. Absolutely. Especially given the amount of adversity that went through um, starting the season off, picked 13th in, in the conference and Brownell's head on the chopping block to potentially lose his job after the year. And then coming into the season in an, on an incredibly hot start with just the loss to Temple early on in the year, coming into ACC play at 11 and one, and then starting off well in ACC play, then losing your best player in Dante Grantham. They recovered incredibly well, despite that Virginia loss, the first one of the season. Um, it's been a really gritty and resilient team this year. And I hope and think that we'll see a lot more of that in the NCAAs as we go forward this week. Yeah, I mean, they really did a combination of things that we haven't seen out of Brad Brownell teams um, in his tenure here at Clemson. I mean, one is to get off to the hot, hot start. You know, we've, we've seen that before. But then to go into conference play and maintain that momentum and continue playing really well. And then after the loss of Dante Grantham, you mentioned that we came back, did not bounce back against Virginia, had a good first half, did not play very well in the second half. Uh, but then we go on and win, I believe, four more in a row until Shelton Mitchell goes down. And even then, I know we suffered some losses, had our first losing streak of the season after uh, Mitchell went down, but we played some tough games. You know, we played Duke tough. We played Virginia Tech tough. Got Mitchell back, won some ball games. The ball games we lost were against good teams and, again, played really tough in those games. So uh, the, the spirit and toughness of this Clemson team is not to be questioned this year. It's been absolutely amazing of what, what they've been able to accomplish. And, again, I c- couldn't be more proud of those guys. And, you know, one thing that really hits me um, as I started to look back and contemplate on the season as a whole is how bad I feel for Dante Grantham. And going back and looking at him, well, not to mention, number one, he's a senior. He's a four-year starter at Clemson. He took a lot of heat from Clemson fans, ourselves included, for not really achieving the, or seeing the development that we would have hoped for after his first three years. And he exceeded all expectations by far this year, I'd say, for, for the, the limited time he was out there. He was our second leading scorer on the team with like 14.2 points a game, second leading rebounder. He was, I mean, he was the most the, the complete player on this Clemson basketball team. And I don't think I realized at the time how much of an impact it would have or what it would mean to lose a guy like that. But looking back now, that was huge. Absolutely. And Dante is still really involved with the team, which is great to see. He did an interview this week uh, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament and the trip to San Diego. And one of the reporters asked him how he's looking at it and if he's excited for his team. And he said, of course, you know, he went off to list all the achievements of this team uh, without him. And took very little credit. He's such a humble guy. He's working so hard to come back, shooting every day, working really hard. Uh, But I think a really important thing to point out about this team this year, we have one loss, whether Grantham was with us or not throughout the whole season, we have one loss to a team that is not in the NCAA tournament. And that was the Temple game early in the season. First loss of the season. First loss of the season. We have one loss to a non-tournament team. That's not too shabby. Um, Although some might say our loss to Syracuse put them in. It probably did, <laughs> but uh, we'll take it. We can proudly say that we just have the one Temple loss, and they're going to be a contender in the NIT. So we have no bad losses on our on our schedule this year, which is something that most teams can't say. Right, and it's not something that we've seen out of a Clemson team uh, for a very long time. I mean, for, for Clemson to go in there, not only uh, not lose the games that they should win, but to win some of the games that a they lot of people yeah, they yeah. weren't supposed to, 
played well on the road, picked up some big ACC road wins. That was huge. Yep. Um, again, eleven and seven in the ACC. That's nothing to uh, you know thumb your nose at. So we'll take it. Absolutely. And that Virginia loss um, right after Grantham's injury was the only one we lost by more than nine points. Yeah, and, and that doesn't count. It also doesn't count. So we're going to say we have no bad losses, and we're going to stick with it. Um, so speaking of Virginia, let's get into talking about the ACC tournament. And I think the last time we checked in was after the loss to Syracuse. We mentioned that you know even though that was a loss, how that could benefit the team. They were playing in front of the largest college basketball crowd uh, of the season. They were playing in a dome. You know these larger, bigger environments are quite typical in tournament play, whether it be your conference tournament or the NCAA tournament. So just getting used to that atmosphere, adjusting your depth perception, getting used to shooting in that environment, I, I think it was uh, huge, and I think it was going to serve this team well moving forward. Uh, so we get into the ACC tournament. Uh, first up, Boston College. No doubt in that game, Clemson takes them pretty easily. Yeah, we handled them really well. Um, Gabe and Shelton both had really nice scoring nights for us at 25 and 21 apiece. Uh, they both also had some good assists and rebounds. Shelton had four rebounds on the game. Gabe had four assists. But the biggest thing, biggest takeaway for me from that game was the freshman's performance, especially in the first half. Uh, Anthony Oliver, AJ, and Amir Sims uh, combined for 14 points. They were four for five from three combined. AJ was three for three in the game and all in the first half. They looked incredible. And we've really seen AJ start to come on here at the end of the year. Yeah, it's been interesting that he's sort of taking Clyde Trapp's part of the rotation. Uh, we haven't seen Clyde play in the last couple games, but AJ's getting some really good minutes. And as I predicted early in the year, he's become sort of the mascot of the team that everybody's cheering for. Uh, we want to see him do well. I'd still like to see Clyde get out there and play well, um, but it's really nice to see another one of the freshmen step up, hit some shots, and play some good basketball. Yeah, and I, you know, I had to ask you the other day when we were watching Virginia game. I had to remind me again: Is Amir Sims just a freshman? It's been incredible. I mean, his future at Clemson is going to be bright. I think we've seen a lot of good flashes out of AJ Oliver. So, again, in as much as we talk about this year, next year is going to looking really good too. So it's good for these young guys to get this type of experience in these high-profile games. I think it's great for them as freshmen to get into. Uh, into the tournament so that they can take that experience. And as they become the leaders of this team in the next two or three years, they have something to strive for, something to lead the team towards. And they know what it's like. They've been there. They've played in those high pressure games. And uh, it'll be really fun to watch this team grow after this year. Once we have a nice NCAA tournament, get a couple wins, hopefully, and uh, get them on the right track. So, you know, that's the freshman. Let's talk about uh, the loons. Uh, well, one of the seniors on this team, Gabe DeVoe, you mentioned he had 25 points in this game. Interesting stat, though. It was a little deceiving. He's only 3 of 11 from, from 3. Yep. Um, one might not have thought that because he's not a guy that scores a lot in the paint, um, although he did have five buckets um, from two in this game. So Gabe DeVoe's still struggling a little bit behind the three-point line. He never really – he righted the ship there for a little bit um, after Shelton Mitchell came back, but yep. it's still been a little bit off. We're really going to need to – for him to perform during the tournament. Yeah, we're going to need him to hit some shots. Something that he and Shelton both did really well in that Boston College game was get to the free throw line. Uh, they were Shelton was 7 for 8 from the line and Gabe was 6 for 6. Some of that was fouling towards the end of the game, I think, um, on Shelton's end. But when Gabe's driving, it's going to help him find his shot. You know, free throws are free for a reason. And uh, it's going to help him get in his groove. So the more he can balance his scoring and, and give it to us in two or three different levels the better it'll be for the team. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a really a key guy for this team. We kind of go how he goes. Uh, you can almost say that. You know, DeVoe is averaging 13.2 points uh, per game on the year, but in our losses, only 7.5 points a game. Yeah. It's nearly half the production. Yeah, he's been really key, especially since Dante went down, uh, carrying the team and being that spark plug that gets everybody going and helps us get on runs. So moving on to Virginia, and it's kind of not fair um, to take a look at a shooter struggles when you come against a, this Virginia team because they have one of the best defensive we've seen in college basketball in a long time. And you witnessed that in that semifinal game in the ACC tournament. Yeah, It was – it hurt to watch that game. It was very painful to see this offense trying to operate against this Virginia defense – but at the end of the day, you see them claw back within four points at one point there near the end of the game and ultimately only lose by six. Yeah, the uh, what we're going to call the second quarter, the, the second 10 minutes of the first half was extremely rough. We didn't score from about nine and a half minutes in the half remaining to about a minute in the half. Remaining. And the thing is, this very similar thing happened in the first half of the first Virginia game. Mm -hmm. In both situations, Clemson had built a seven-point lead only to see that erode away by halftime. Yeah, so we ended up down nine at half in this one uh, with only 23 points scored in the first half. So very reminiscent of that second half as well, really low scoring for us. Uh, but as you said, we clawed our way back into this game, and the defense was really the way we did it, and some, some good shooting across the board um, from a number of different players. So you mentioned the defense again. It tells you about kind of the leadership and uh, the maturity of this team to when they are struggling on the offensive end, that they still give the effort on defense. Cause that's a huge identity of this team. I mean, when shots are falling, that's a bonus, but when this defense plays the way it's capable of doing, you, you see it's able to keep itself in games, even when the offense isn't going so well. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about Virginia a ton this year with their defense it's really easy to win games when other teams are only scoring 55 points against you, right? Then you only have to put up 57, 56 to win a game. Most teams in the NCAA can do that offensively. Um, they just don't have the capabilities of holding teams under that threshold on defense. Uh, this is the best Brownell defense he's ever had, um, at least as far as adjusted defensive rankings within Ken Palm. Uh, it's very similar to his first year with us um, back in 2011. So, the difference this year is that we're living up to that Brownell defensive identity and also performing on offense. And it's it's more balanced than we've seen in years. Yeah, I mean, it was tough going on the offensive end of this game. But, hell, we scored 22 more points in this one than we did the first matchup against Virginia. So there's something to be said for that. Um, it's, it's just going to be hard to operate against this Virginia defense. And that's going to be for any team. Uh, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament, but... You know, whereas in, in the past couple of years, maybe Virginia was ranked a little bit higher than they deserved to be. I think this year they're solidly the number one team in the country, and it's all built upon that defense. I mean, you see what they did to Marquise Reed in this game. I can't yeah. remember the last time I've seen Reed had a game like that. No, he was really struggling from the field. It was one for 10 from three, two for 14 for the game. He just looked completely out of rhythm, and he could not get anything to fall. Well, and to compound that, I mean, you really saw him. I mean, he's still trying to take the game over, and which is fine. Like, he is... He is our go-to guy. You need him to have that mentality, not shy away from it. But that not only led to missed shots, it also led to turnovers. As we've noted before, he's not the best ball handler. Yep, he ended up with um, with three turnovers for the game. But there were other situations where people got put into bad spots because we were late in the shot clock and he didn't necessarily take the one that he should have. 
um, it was it was tough watching him struggle, and it, it definitely hurt our flow on offense. Well, I mean, aside from that, again, just to, to watch these guys stick it in there, I think you have to be really proud of how they played. You know, if we play Virginia a third time, do we have a shot? Yeah, I think we do. Would we win? Probably not. Yeah, um, I but think it's possible. I think we've proven that we can stay with them for at least a half. Uh, and if we could put together a really spectacular shooting performance or get some lucky breaks within a game, we could definitely beat them as a team. Um, we don't have Virginia in our name as a school, which makes it tough to beat Virginia as a team this year. They've Apparently. only lost to Virginia Tech and West Virginia this year. So if you're looking for upsets, if they play any Virginia teams in the tournament, maybe go with that. Um, but I definitely think we're one of the teams that are better equipped to face them than uh, within the tournament. Well, listen, at the end of the day, we lost by six to the number one team in the nation. Um, so, again, you got to be proud of the way these guys played, uh, the way they played all year long. Um, and so get behind this team going into the NCAA tournament. Um, it's going to be hard for Clemson fans to get down to San Diego, I know, for the first round. But maybe if they make it to Sweet 16 in Omaha for, for that round of games, you know, get out there, show them some love. So speaking of the NCAA tournament, let's go ahead and turn our attention to that. So as we mentioned, Clemson, a five seed heading to San Diego. And for me, Sam, the worst part about where they got seated and what bracket they're in is the 9.57 East Coast start time. That, that sucks for us on the West Coast. I mean, that's 7 o'clock out here. We had plans for Friday night. We had to cancel some uh, tickets to go see comedian Brian Posen. If you don't know who he is, believe me, you know who he is. You just have to see a picture. Um, so I may be out some money on that. But uh, that does suck. You know, we're going to be watching basketball all day. And it's going to be kind of, you know, it's going to be tough to have to wait all day to see Clemson play. Yeah, I'm just going to try and think of it as building the anticipation um, because it's it's pretty brutal for an East Coast team to have to play at 10 p.m. Eastern after a day of travel the day before, two days before. I think they're planning on going out on getting out here on Wednesday. Um, I was kind of hoping they'd come out Tuesday and just take an extra day to acclimate to the time zone. Um, but the good news is for teams that are traveling cross country, the other direction going west to east is usually more detrimental. Um, so hopefully that 10 p.m. start time for our guys on their internal clocks isn't totally a deal breaker. Yeah, and I was actually going to mention that. It's funny, you know, we live out here in San Francisco and often make trips back to South Carolina and the East Coast. And you're right, the, the trip there is absolutely brutal trying to get adjusted to the time. But when you're coming back the other way, it's generally pretty easy. I mean, if these guys, you know, if they take like a 6 a.m. flight, they'll be into San Francisco at, you know, 9 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so I think at that point, it's a little bit easier to get adjusted to the time. And hopefully we don't see that uh, become an issue for this team. Other than that, I, mean, I don't think the proximity to New Mexico is really that much of an issue. That doesn't bother me so much. And listen, Clemson isn't the only number five team that's having to travel. Um, you know, Every five seed, Kentucky and Ohio State are going to Boise and West Virginia and Clemson are going to San Diego. So every five seed is having to travel. Um, it does surprise me a little bit that it shook out that way. I know the NCAA supposedly tries to, at least in the early round games, try to get teams playing close to their uh, um, to their home base, but that's not the case, and we're just gonna have to live with that. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot. Although a lot of people are picking us as the upset pick uh, in that twelve five matchup, I think we actually got a pretty good matchup for for our, our boys as far as style of play and how we're going to be able to handle this team. 
Uh, I mentioned earlier that we had the one loss to the non-tournament team. Every single one of New Mexico State's losses are to non-tournament teams, and they've only got, I think, two against people that are in the tournament. So this isn't a team that has played a bunch of um, tough games this year, and they may not be ready for um, this amount of pressure in the game on Friday. Now, they did beat Davidson. They beat Miami in the Diamond Head Classic. They lost by USC, that's Southern Cal, um, by five in the championship game of that tournament. So they do have some good wins. They do. Um, they did play solid in their conference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's unless you're a one or a two seed, like nobody's a pushover yep. in this tournament. So this team is going to have to come ready to play. They're not going to be able to look past New Mexico State. I actually think our matchup in the second round, should we move on, might be easier um, due to where Auburn stands right now with injury, and just College of Charleston is, uh, you know, they're a decent team, but they're um, not up to the level of Clemson. Yeah. So they're a thirteen for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I mean, looking looking at this number five seed and analyzing a little bit more, you know, you see a team like North Carolina with a very similar record to Clemson uh, finish six in the ACC as opposed to Clemson uh, finish tied for third. They jump up to a two seed. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big gap there. Do you think that the committee took the absence of Dante Grantham into account? You know, this team is seven and six without Grantham. I don't wonder if if Mitchell doesn't go out and we go one and one in the two full games that he missed, um, and that puts us as eight and five with loss of Virginia. Does that change the scenario? Do you see Clemson bump up to a four? You know, it's kind of nickel and diamond there between four and five. But you, do you think they took that into account? I don't think the Grantham injury necessarily played into the, the ranking that we got, but I do think the Shelton injury hurt our, our seeding because, like you said, if we had one more win, I think there's a good chance we're a four seed. Um, but as far as the North Carolina one, um, I think they're a well-deserved two. It is the most losses by a two seed in the last many years, uh, but they played the hardest schedule in the country this year by a pretty decent margin, and... Uh, have a ton of marquee wins to show for it. And so I'm not upset about them getting the two either. Um, but I do think we, uh, we could have been a four had we had one or two more wins on our, on our resume. Well, listen, let's not focus on, on other teams. I mean, really, we gotta, you know, this Clemson team has to play the teams that lie ahead of them. So that's all they, they should really be focusing on. You know, if, if North Carolina ends up becoming a factor for Clemson, that's a pretty damn good thing. Cause it'd be in the final four. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so to get back to New Mexico State in that round one matchup, they are the Western Athletic Conference champions. Um, they've got about three or four guys that we really need to pay attention to in the game. They've got the WAC Player of the Year in Jamario Jones, uh, who is a 6'5", rebounding dynamo. He does a little bit of everything for them. He's a really strong defender, really amazing rebounder. He's got the best defensive rebounding percentage in the country. Um, yeah, and you mentioned he was the player of the year. You know, both you and I thought when we were first looking into these teams that Zach Lofton, their senior guard, uh, averaging almost 20 points a game, yep. 40% for three, we thought that he would be that guy. But I was a little surprised to see Jamario Jones. He's a senior as well. Um, so two veteran guys really leading this team. Yeah, um, and they've got a couple of other guys that are that are really good and sort of scare me as potential other pieces. Those two are definitely going to be the drivers of the game for New Mexico State, but two other ones to watch out for watch out for our um, Jonathan Wilkins, who's their big guy. He can shoot. He can uh, defend pretty well. And uh, their point guard, AJ Harris is extremely fast. He's five nine. He's a tiny little guy, but he can, he can move. 
Um, so it should be an interesting matchup for our guards to deal with both Jones and Harris um, on the perimeter. So the identity of this New Mexico State team is defense. They're 14th in adjusted defense, uh, defensive efficiency. Compare that to Clemson, actually, today. So Clemson, a hair better there. Uh, they're fourth in the country with 41.5 rebounds a game. I mean, that's a massive amount of rebounds in a game. Yeah. Um, so that's really the identity of this team. They're not a good shooting team. They're less than 50% field goal percentage this year, only 64% from the line and 33% behind the arc. So, you know, it's not their offense we need to worry about. It's the defense. And I think if you're a Clemson fan, the silver lining there is you just saw Clemson go up against the best defensive team in the country and put up a fight only, you know, coming within six. Yep. And I think that Virginia game, the way it went, uh, the, the thing that turned the game towards the end was offensive rebounds by Jack Salt and Isaiah Wilkins. We have to watch out for the same exact thing in this game from Wilkins and uh, Jamario Jones crashing the glass because they will. And if we don't box them out and get those defensive rebounds, we are going to give them points, uh, freebies on second chance points. So we were talking earlier and speaking of Jamario Jones, he's, he's their three guard or three. He's in the three spot. He's a forward actually, but he's going to match up against Gabe DeVoe on the defensive end of things. How does that, how is that going to affect Gabe DeVoe um, and his scoring ability? We mentioned how crucial it is for DeVoe to get in the scoring column with some consistency. I mean, you really need to see his shot falling, especially when you're playing such a good defensive team. What kind of night is DeVoe in for? Gabe's going to have a rough one. Um, I'm hopeful that he can still score, but Jones is also one of the best defenders in, in the Western Athletic Conference. He's going to have a really tough matchup, and if we're going to win this game, Gabe's going to have to come out with a good game. He's going to have to hit some shots for us, and he's going to have to box out like crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if we switched Amir Sims onto Jones and uh, moved Gabe up to somebody bigger on their team, um, like Eli Chua who's their backup big guy, or one of their third guard. They do play a lot of guards, so we may have times where it's easier to make those matchups work, but um, Gabe's going to have a tough matchup against Jones. Well, and that's where coaching adjustments and game plan and scheming really come um, come into effect here. Uh, the the benefit that you have in the first-round games, not having to play a play-in game, obviously, is that you have more time to scout the team that you're playing against, which is not the same as when you have – a two-day turnaround sure. uh, going into the second round. So Clemson and Brad Brownell will have the opportunity to scheme against this team. It'll be interesting to see what he can come out, um, how he comes out against this New Mexico State team and what he does to get Gabe DeVoe going because the things that um, he has been doing or hasn't been doing so far really haven't worked. I mean, Gabe's shot has still been off. He's been putting up some points. He had that 25-point game where he only hit three threes. But, you know, even if he's not – hitting the three he needs to contribute in other ways and to his credit he has been doing that rebounding the ball is going to be huge in this game as you mentioned and playing great defense i think that this clemson team can win without him scoring if he is in that you know six to eight point range but he's going to have to do other things well and you know hopefully if they're locked in on him that's going to free up some other guys like shelton mitchell marquis reed absolutely i think there's two really key things that we need to do in this game to beat new mexico state and the first one we talked about we've touched on it, um, but it's controlling the ball, making sure we're moving the ball, not turning it over. They force a lot of turnovers. They're not one of the top teams in the country, but they do thrive on it. Um, and I think I looked at a lot of their game logs uh, today, and if we have fewer than 12 turnovers and more than 12 assists in this game, I think we win it. 
Pair that with the second thing, which is the rebounding battle. You mentioned they averaged 41 and a half rebounds a game. In every game this year where they won that battle, that margin, by at least six, they won the game. So if we can keep the, the rebounding margin to within five and, and keep it even with them, we can lose it, but just not by much, we'll have a better chance to win this game. We need to be good on the glass. So and a key to that, one, is keeping Elijah Thomas out of foul trouble and keeping him on the court. I think that's going to be big in this game. Uh, and then on the offensive end, and you saw this in the Virginia game, is that when Clemson's struggling uh, to shoot the ball and to get open looks, beating the ball inside and going through Elijah Thomas – his offensive game has improved tremendously, especially um, uh, around the rim this year. So he cannot be a forgotten guy. The offense needs to go through him. Whether or not we're scoring a lot of points inside, that's fine. But getting the ball through him can create some open looks for some of the other guys. And then also a game like this against a scrappy defensive team, you can see a guy off the bench like Davis, David Scara really come in and have a big impact just with his toughness and tenacity. You're not looking for him to score. The yep. ball. It's the other things uh, that he can contribute. So look for a guy like that to possibly have an influence on this game. Yeah, I think that's a really good point with Scara. He could be somebody that could slow down uh, Jamario Jones significantly. Uh, he could also guard Zach Lofton pretty effectively. They're about the same size. They're both 6'5 to 6'7, which is the same size as Scara. Um, and his focus when he's in our ga- in the game for us is rebounding and defense. Yeah, so, don't forget to what he did against Grayson Allen in the second half against Duke. Yep, he's very capable of shutting down fantastic scorers like Lofton or keeping guys like uh, Jones off the glass. Well, that about wraps it up for New Mexico State. Again, it's the dreaded 5-12 seed. Uh, Two of them always go down. Um, I'm not sure West Virginia is going to be one of those this year. I'm not sure Kentucky is. Um, So we'll just have to hope it's not Clemson. Yeah, maybe it'll be a light year and we'll just get the one. Um, I'm banking on Ohio State to be one of them. How about that? We'll see how it goes. We all, I mean, we, we we can all we all love to hate Ohio State, so let's pick them. Yeah, and we already beat them this year, so they can they can lose if they want to. Um, so looking ahead to second round games and possible matchups, I mentioned that that might actually be an easier matchup should Clemson advance. You've got uh, the first round game in the opposite side of our bracket. There, um, you got the College of Charleston Cougars versus the Auburn Tigers. Auburn Tigers have suffered some late season injuries. They're two and four in their last six games. College of Charleston, 26 and seven, 14 and four in the Colonial Athletic Association. They've only lost one game since January 13th. And they're a team that does not commit a lot of tur- turnovers, which again, that's guard play. And that's huge in the NCAA, NCAA tournament. Uh, they're led by their sophomore guard, Grant Riller. He's 18.7 uh, points a game. I think the bigger storyline there is Earl Jones, former assistant of Brad Belnell, coaching the Cougars. Absolutely. Uh, Earl's in his fourth year there, um, joined in 2010 after he left us as an assistant coach. And he's got this team playing the old style Purnell Brownell style defense where they're aggressive. They force a lot of turnovers. Um, I think they're second in the country in turnovers forced and um, or in steals. And they have a pretty thin rotation. So they run guys through if they can force a lot of turnovers against this Auburn team that is also thin off off of injuries um it could be a really fun game yeah so normally I wouldn't say you know if Auburn's healthy I would probably not give College Charleston much of a chance in this game but they certainly do so either way it's an interesting matchup for Clemson going into the second round should they advance you know another local South Carolina team 
And then also a team in Auburn that is another fellow uh, Southern team. We got the good football rivalry kind of going on in recent years with the Auburn Tigers. And now we get to square off against them in basketball, uh, possibly. So, Potentially. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting. And I again, I think given the injuries to Auburn, uh, their 6'7 sophomore, Anthony McLemore, uh, he was the team's top shot blocker this year. He's down with an ankle injury. Uh, their six eight junior Horace Spencer is the, their you know most important big man, but he's fouled out twice in two of the team's recent losses. Uh, the key to being the Auburn team is you attack the rim and really get those bigs in foul trouble. Get those right? bigs in foul trouble and just dare them to stop you. You really have a you know they, they're a weakened team. Yeah, and I think Spencer's uh, a guy who actually struggles like a lot like Eli did last year, uh, playing that one on one D, picking up stupid fouls or picking up fouls where he's actually doing a good job, but just getting attacked a lot. So he's somebody we could definitely get into foul trouble and get out of the game early if we end up playing against Auburn. So, folks, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that the Clemson Tigers might actually make it to the Sweet 16. So maybe for those of you saving up your money, not going uh, out to San Diego, maybe plan a trip to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, Scattered out for baseball season, too. Last time Clemson fans were there was not a good memory, but um, hopefully you turn that around this time. So very interesting for me, uh, should Clemson happen to make it out of those first two rounds, they're likely squaring up uh, uh, looking at KU, University of Kansas, also my alma mater. I went to grad school there. This would be the first time that I've had to root against KU, but I will gladly do it. I would love to watch you watch that game and just be so conflicted every time now there, Dante I, Graham hits a shot I against would, us and you're cheering in your heart, but you're also sad. I would not be conflicted whatsoever. It'd be I'm rooting for Clemson 100%. And how great would it be for to see Clemson take down a one seed? And, and KU, uh, it's funny. The one seeds are not very strong this year. You know, Villanova and, and uh, University of Virginia – but Xavier and KU are kind of some of the, the lowest rated one seeds that we've had in recent years in the tournament. So it's they're very beatable one seeds once you get past the first round games. It definitely is. Um, we were talking about those 8-9 matchups and potential upsets. Florida State against Xavier and or Missouri against Xavier could easily go that the way of the 8-9 in that game. And I think Kansas could potentially struggle with either Seton Hall or NC State, depending on who comes out of that matchup. Um, but I think... Both those two are definitely ripe for an upset at some point in this tournament. So looking beyond the one seed and the other side of the bracket for for, for Clemson, you got the two seed Duke. Uh, Duke's a very very beatable team. If you know you're a Clemson team, you've shown that this year, uh, coming close against them without Shelton Mitchell. Michigan State, uh, I think that's a popular pick out of this bracket. Tom Izzo, you know when he comes in about seated uh, in this range in the tournament, he's He's very dangerous, brings a dangerous team to play. Absolutely. And we were talking a little bit earlier about which coaches are the best at getting to the Sweet 16, into the Elite Eight, into the Final Four. Izzo is at the top of the charts on pretty much every one of those lists. Um, he's an incredibly good tournament coach. He figures teams out at the end of the year and knows how to get them over the hump. Uh, and this Michigan State team is full of talent. They haven't totally figured out how to play together as a team yet. Uh, but if the past is any indication Izzo will figure out how to get them to do that and they will be dangerous come tournament time. So this is a pretty tough run one through three in this Midwest bracket for Clemson. So again, let's not get our head of ourselves. Let's, let's win the first game and move on to the second game. But again, just excited to, to see Clemson in there. Really excited to see how things shake out again. Could see this team 
um, in the Sweet 16. Um, I'd probably cap their success at there. It depends on if Seton Hall or NC State ends up beating KU. I do not think Clemson matches up well against KU, uh, but we'll talk about that after this weekend. Yeah, we'll should, save that till next yeah, show. Yeah, should we have the opportunity uh, to do that. So looking at the rest of the bracket, Sam, what else stood out to you as far as who, who made it, who didn't make it, um, and how you know some of these one-seats stack up? The bubble's always fun to look at. Um, I'm surprised that Syracuse got into the tournament. They, Like we talked about briefly earlier, their win over us probably is the thing that put them over the line and got them into the tournament. Um, you're welcome, Jim Beheim. Yeah, take that, Jim. Uh, you're welcome. Enjoy your Bojangles. And uh, some of the other teams that I thought were interesting uh, inclusions and or exclusions, I was really surprised that um, USC didn't get put into the tournament. Uh, Notre Dame, I kind of expected to be excluded, uh, and they're going to be one of the one seeds in the NIT this week. But um, I think it would have been really great to see them in the tournament. Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell are experienced players. And uh, had Bonzi been healthy for another three or four games, they almost definitely would have made the field this year. So how did Oklahoma get in? An 18-13 and 13 team. They were only 8-10 and 10 in the Big 12. Um, they lost 12 of their last 18 games, including 2-8 and eight over the last 10 with a six-game losing streak. How does a team like that get in? Just because Trey Young? Pretty much. Uh, the committee talked about body of work a lot this year, and they started the season extremely strong. Trey Young was incredible the first half of the season. but It's also how you end the season. They lost 12 of their last 18 games. So I, I have friends that, that really like to look at those last 10 or 12 games and, and assess how a team's coming into the tournament as an indicator of success. And this team obviously fails that. They fail the eye test for the last couple of weeks. They've been horrendous. Trey Young's been, his shot's been off. He hasn't been playing well. Um, so I really, I mean, if you've watched ESPN at all in the last six months, you've seen nothing but Trey Young and the Ball family. So it's ESPN's pet thing to run. Uh, obviously, they're not the ones picking the committee, but they certainly influence sports media and how people perceive different teams. So I, I definitely think that played a part. Um, but as far as the committee is concerned, those early season wins by Oklahoma are really what got them in to the field of 68. Well, one of those early season wins was over Southern Cal, a team that we mentioned thought should be in. They were 23 and 11 on the year 12 and six in the Pac-12. They finished second in the regular season in the Pac-12 and lost to Arizona in the Pac-12 championship game. So I'm sitting here scratching my head, wondering why they didn't get in. Pac-12 only gets two teams in, Arizona and UCLA. And at first, I looked at UCLA. I was like, well, what they do, they were 21-11-11-7 in the conference. I'm like, how do they not get in ahead of uh, – or how does USC not get in ahead of UCLA? The thing that killed USC, they lost to UCLA twice this year. If they win one of those games, they're in the tournament. I think you can pinpoint that. Yeah. Um, and UCLA is probably out. So the Pac-12 did actually get one more team in, which is Arizona State. They've got that playing game against Syracuse coming up. But – they We've were, already established that that game doesn't count. No, we know that. You're not into but you're in. They were, I think, eighth in the Pac-12, and USC was second. And uh, again, that's another one of the situations where the early season victories by Arizona State, they started the season off really, really strong and were 12-0 at one point in the season before lost to Arizona in, at the beginning of the Pac-12 conference play. What did they do against USC? Uh, they lost to U- or they beat USC once and just played them once. So 
two point game. It was very close. So the what it comes down to is Southern Cal did not beat these three teams: Oklahoma, UCLA, and Arizona State that we're talking about. That's really what it comes down to. Yep. And so we see the Pac-12 looking a lot weaker this year than than we're used to. They got only three teams in. Uh, Big 12 got or Big 10 got four teams in, which is lighter than we're used to as well. Uh, ACC led the way with with nine this year um, and three more in the in the NIT. So a really strong year for the ACC. Well, first, the less USCs in the tournament, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, Over two. But yeah. Going, speaking uh, to how many each conference got in, the ACC didn't fare very well last year after getting a lot of teams in. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this year. I was kind of surprised to see the Big Ten so down this year and again, a little surprised to see the Pac-12 with only three teams getting in. But that really goes to show you how much uh, mid-major basketball, like, you know, it's not the same things in football. You can't overlook them. Like these teams are really good. And that's what makes the tournament so exciting is because you see a lot of these teams that you never think about all year long, like a team like Providence or something like that. And you really see them playing the tournament. You can see the, the, the playing field is pretty level. The talent gap is not too far. And it makes for some, some really exciting games to watch. And also uh, you get to know some players that you really never heard of before. And, and that can be really exciting too. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you look at, past seasons, there are players from across the country that have no business being household names and you get to know one every year. And I think this year we're going to see a bunch of them, um, a name to throw out that people might not know that he's one of the leading scorers in the country. Mike Dom of South Dakota state is a big guy. He's going to be a high draft pick next year, probably Jack rabbits, baby. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one to look at, but there will absolutely be a Cinderella team that grabs at our heartstrings and has two or three characters uh, that lead the way that you're going to get to know these guys' names. Well, it's, hopefully it's, it's not New so Mexico fun. State. We we really hope that most people in the country are not going to know um, any of the players that we mentioned earlier in this podcast by the end of this year. I don't even know their mascot. Uh, the Lobos, I believe. Isn't that oh, no, the, they're the Aggies. I was about to say, isn't that Nevada? Uh, New Mexico University is the Lobos as well. Ah, uh, a lot of Lobos. Yeah. Wolves. In yeah. Espanol, in case you guys didn't know. See. Um, so one thing we didn't talk about, St. Mary's, 28-5 on the year, 16-2. They got left out. I mean, beat somebody. Their non-conference it, schedule wasn't that strong. Was, and It they, was extremely soft. And they lost uh, the game they should have, or a couple of games that where they had an opportunity to beat a good team, they lost. So. Yep. They were hanging their hat on their one – Gonzaga victory this year. Yeah. And it just, it wasn't enough. So resume, not too strong there. I mean, again, St. Mary's is a team um, out here in the West coast conference uh, that I love seeing play. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a shame that, that their best player, Jock Landale won't be part of the tournament this year. Um, But you know, not every team can get in and they just really didn't schedule any tough games this year. And the ones they did schedule, ended up being worse than expected. And I think it's probably not on them to schedule these games. I think it's more so that probably uh, Power 5 conference teams don't want to schedule a a mid-major like this because they're a good basketball team, and you've got an opportunity to lose there. One Uh, team they did beat this year, though, New Mexico State. There you go. Um, All right, so big picture, Sam. Final four. Let's talk about who you got. Uh. Okay, so I'm going to start with our, our hometown sort of stuff. I'm going to start with ACC teams. 
Uh, I've got Virginia going to the Final Four. Uh, I also have another number one in there for Villanova. Out of the Midwest, where we are seated, um, I've got Michigan State going in over Duke, or in over Kansas and Duke. Um, and then out of the West, where right, I've got I'll, my... I'll stop you right now. So far, we're the same on okay. these three. I'm willing to bet the last one is going to be different. Because uh, the West is where I went uh, a little bit upset heavy. And I've got number six Houston in wow. my final four. Would not have seen that coming. I've got Gonzaga. Four seed. I've got them in my lead eight. That's my yeah. matchup going in. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't, you know, again, a couple of one seeds aren't as strong this year as they normally are. And I could very well see only one number one seed uh, making it as far as the final four. You've seen Villanova have hiccups in the past being a highly ranked team. And Virginia, you know, if 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 some team can figure out their defense, Virginia's scoring power and capabilities is not the same as some of these other better teams in the conference. It's just not their forte. Yep. So I can see a perfect storm where they go out. I mean, you could have a non, like a no number one final four. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out again. This is always a very exciting uh, part of the year, and it's even more exciting when Clemson is in it. So best of luck to Brad Belnell and his basketball team. I'm going to be really excited uh, watching them play, even though it's a 10 o'clock Eastern tip time on Friday night. Hopefully we get a little better time slot if we make it uh, to Sunday. But go Tigers. Get behind this team, root for them. They've had a fantastic year. Let's see if they can pick up a few more wins. Uh, so with that, let's turn over to baseball to wrap it up. So the Clemson baseball team continues their hot start to the season. They've improved to 15-1 and overall since the last time we talked about them. Three and zero start in the ACC with a series sweep over Georgia Tech. Uh, this is the best start for Clemson baseball since 2002 when they started 26 and one. So uh, Monty Lee really earning his paycheck here. And I mean, I just can't talk about all the excitement there is around the difference Clemson sports. But you know, in the midst of celebrating the basketball team and all the excitement around um, Trevor Lawrence and the other freshmen and the returning defensive line on the football team. Uh, loss in all of that is how well this baseball team is playing right now. They're number one in RPI. They're ranked as high as number two in the various polls that are out there. So overall, a very good start to the to the season for Clemson baseball. Um, it'll be exciting to see this team moving forward. My prediction of over on 43 wins this year is looking pretty good right now. Yeah, so far so good. Um, when you start off the season with just one loss in your first 15 games or so, it's always a good recipe. I'm kind of actually hoping for another loss because I look at that one loss and it bugs me that it's from South Carolina. Like, I hate that. I think the important thing to remember is we beat them in the series. So we're undefeated in series play, uh, and we can ignore that one loss, just like we do the Temple and Virginia losses for basketball. Sure, why not? I guess I'll take that for now. Um, yeah, so let's start with Michigan State. Uh, that was a midweek game after the Wofford game last week. Uh, the Spartans scored a run in each of the first three innings, take a six and a, six and nothing lead. Clemson battles back in this game. They rally for nine runs of the fifth inning. Again, this Clemson team never says die. And like at this point, you just expect it. You never feel like this team is out of a game, even when they're down six, nothing. And that really bodes well for when we come into postseason play, just that mentality. And it's, it's, Interesting to see that it's a mentality that is stuck uh, in each of Monty Lee's three seasons here, the Helmet Clemson baseball, and that's with turnover on the baseball team. You know, this isn't Chris Oakey playing 
uh, for this team like three years ago, the, the clear vocal leader of that team. There has been turnover. So to see this mentality um, continue on, that's a really positive thing moving forward. And that just tells you that the style of coaching that Monty Lee has kind of brought to the table is really sticking with this team. Um, standout from this game, Carson Spears. He's really started to take over in the closer role, it seems like. Recorded the last two outs in that game to record his second save of the year. Uh, and then we talked about Georgia Tech. Al scored Georgia Tech in that series 23-7. to uh, Jacob Hennessy in the first game, he has a career-high seven innings pitch. Clemson again takes a lead late in that game with a Patrick Cromwell run-scoring single in the eighth. Uh, Ryan Miller uh, pitched uh, two innings of that game to earn the win. Uh, second game of the series, Clemson wins 7-3. Spencer Strider gets the win there. Uh, Carson Spears again pitching the final two and two-thirds innings to get another save. And then Clemson in the last game of the series scores seven runs in the first. Higginbotham, another great game, five-inning pitch, two earned runs. Had a little scare there where he took a line drive, um, but turned out to be okay. Uh, Chris Williams, interesting, actually started a catcher for the first time this year. That's good to see because whereas Wilkie has been good behind the plate this year, his bat hasn't really been there. So if you can start to see Chris Williams get behind the plate, that's really going to add some power to this line. Or, um, Well, it's already got power, but it's going to add a little extra giddy up to this lineup that's it's only batting 268 year uh, this year as a team, down from 282 last year. So while they are scoring runs, um, the batting average could stand to improve. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, they're doing pretty well getting on base. Uh, it's 395 for the team on base percentage for the season so far. They've been patient at the plate. A lot They've of walks. They've been patient. A lot of, lot of walks. We've already got almost 100 walks for the season uh, through 15 games. So we're drawing a lot of them. But uh, they're definitely swinging and missing a little bit as well with over 130 strikeouts so far this year. Well, Justin Hawkins, um, as well as he's come on this year, he's got 12 of those strikeouts and only 21 at-bats. Uh, that's not a good number, but he, he's been heating decent. I mean, he at least came in and gave the second base position um, a little boost there for a while. Grayson Bird, and now raising his average a little bit. He had his best game of the year in the last game of that Georgia Tech series. So, yeah, there's there's still a, a few holes to fill. Uh, Drew Warden's been down after a hot start to the year. Still tied for the team lead in RBIs with 19, uh, but it'd be nice to see him kind of pick it up again. Then, of course, Seth Beer being Seth Beer. Average raised a little bit since we talked last, up to yep. 286. Three home runs in the, since we talked exactly. as well. Exactly. Leads the team with six home runs on the year So and some long bombs. Oh, my goodness. He hit one like 412, Yeah, I believe. He's he's seen the ball just fine. He is. Um, and then Patrick Cromwell and Chris Williams continue to, continue to lead this team. Uh, yeah. Cromwell with Williams' a, slugging percentage is just out of control at 639. He's getting on base. Fairly often, but when he does, he's doing it with power. He's getting to second and third and home runs really frequently. Well, and look at Cromwell, a 529 on base percentage and 373 average. Um, he's up there for the league, uh, the team lead in runs. So the front uh, top half of the order has been very solid this yep. year for the Tigers. And it's been enough uh, to carry team this team this year combined with the solid pitching that they've had. Another thing, the defense has been really solid this year. Almost a 980 fielding percentage right now, um, which, again, with these young pitchers, uh, the philosophy is to put guys in there that are going to throw strikes. That means the bats can be put on the ball a lot, a lot of balls in play. The defense has been very solid for this team this year. No more bigger improvement than uh, Logan Davidson at shortstop. Uh, speaking of the pitching, the starters have remained absolutely dominant. They have a 5.2 strikeout-to-walk ratio 
less than one and a half walks in nine inning, every nine innings. That's an incredible stat. The only kind of cost or concern for me right now, while Brooks Crawford does have a 204 ERA, he's only averaging about four and a third innings per start. Yep. And so while not everything is really shaken out in the bullpen this year, uh, that could leave some cause for concern if we don't. Uh, you'd like to see him at least over five. So you're not taxing your bullpen as much as we start getting into playing better competition. That may become more of an issue. However, to fill the gap there, Ryan Miller has been absolutely amazing this year. He's got a 1-1-2 ERA and 16 innings pitch, which, which is only an inning of two-thirds less than Brooks Crawford, who's a starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, Higginbotham, again, has been fantastic. Crawford, you mentioned his, his uh, ERA, but Jacob Hennessy also under two for the season in his four starts. And and he's not, averaging a ton of innings. Yeah, and I did not see that coming. We mentioned the first game against Georgia Tech. It was seven his innings pitch was his highest uh to date in his career so i thought higginbotham would kind of be the guy that was untouchable this year while he's still pitching great uh jacob hennessy has really come on and that's been great to have those two left handers book in brooks crawford there in the middle so one guy who has struggled a little bit riley gilliam he came in as the team's closer de facto closer this year um while he does have a 245 era he's struggled to shut down some games here lately so Again, you started to see um, Carson Spears come in there more into safe situations. He's got three on the season, which is leading the team. Gilliam's only got two. So as Monty Lee and Andrew C. start to continue to try to figure out who they want in those midweek starters roles, I wouldn't be surprised if you see them throw Gilliam out there just to switch it up a little bit for him and try to get him going. We mentioned at the beginning of the season that Gilliam was – a possibility for a starter's role if some things didn't shake out. So I think making the transition to Spears, who has been solid, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get Gilliam out there and really try to switch his role up um, to kind of offset some of the struggles that he's had so far this year. Yeah, we talked about him potentially making that transition this year. Maybe that's the thing that gets him out of his slump. Um, And Spears has been incredible. He leads the team in appearances for the pitchers with nine so far this year already. He's playing in nearly every game. Uh, and he's pitching really well. So if he can continue to do what he's done and close out games strong, then it frees up Gilliam to find his niche and uh, really get in a groove somewhere else in the lineup. And the other guy, you know, the, you saw the team throw Sam Weatherly out there for the first two midweek starts of the year. Uh, but lately you've seen Spencer Strider. He's been struggling a little bit. He struggled with his um, with his command a little bit this year. Does have 21 strikeouts, though, and 11.2 innings pitched. ERA, just under seven. That's not great. But you've seen uh, Lee and C really commit to keeping him in there. Um, Again, he's second in the team in strikeouts and only 11.2 innings pitched. However, he does lead the team in walks. So he he needs to balance that out a little bit. But I think you're going to continue to see the commitment to him as they start to develop him because his upside is absolutely huge. Yeah, we've got a lot of potential, especially within that bullpen. There's so many guys that could step up and figure it out this year. Uh, We talked about it at the beginning of the season. A lot of young guys in that bullpen as well. So hopefully the uh, coaches can figure it out and and groom one of these guys and turn them into either a consistent closer or a midweek starter that we can rely on. Because going into next year, that'll be a huge help just to have that development and, and, and to know what you got out of these guys. But at the end of the day, 
the pitching staff's ERA is two eight four as a team on the on the year. Nothing which to complain about there. You can't complain about that in college baseball. Now that being said, we're coming up against a hot uh, North Carolina State team this weekend, who's swinging uh, swinging a good bat so far this year. So um, the competition is going to get stiffer as we get into ACC play or get further into ACC play. That is, we got Charleston Southern uh, midweek game on Tuesday this week. Again, followed up by NC State. So we'll be back after the weekend as we follow up on basketball. We'll also check in on baseball a little bit more as they continue their push now into conference play and looking for to do some good things this year, hopefully going into the postseason. Possibly, could the Clemson Tigers make two trips to Omaha this year, basketball and baseball? We can only hope. We can only hope. It's a possibility. So that's all we got for tonight, folks. Uh, Again, basketball, first and foremost, on our minds. Get out there wherever you are. Support your Clemson Tigers. Wear your orange, you know, wave your flags, and let them know, let the state know that we're not just about football. We're about basketball as well. It's great to see them playing so well. So thanks again to everybody for listening. We appreciate, as always, all the engagement on social media. Please be sure to check us out on SoundCloud. Follow us there. You can uh, converse with us on Twitter, on Facebook. You can email us at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. And then leave an iTunes review. Uh, iTunes review goes a long way to letting people know who we are and what our listeners think about us. And so we would really appreciate that if you had the time. As I mentioned, we will be back with a recap of Clemson's, hopefully, two games in the NCAA tournament, followed up by some baseball. And then moving forward into the future, we'll continue on with some spring practice updates. And, of course, leading to the spring game, we'll be there to follow up on that. So again, thanks for joining us, and as always, Go Tigers! Clemson again goes ahead late in that game on a Patrick Patrick Cromwell... Clemson again goes ahead in that game on a Patrick Cromwell. Cromwell.